Hello, and welcome to episode Philip Schlappick of the Cost for Pointcast. I'm your host, Colin Cudmore, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Trevor Shackles. Well, we're finally on the other side of one of the biggest weeks in franchise history. Uh, decisions were made, some more questionable than others, and so far, uh, I mean, after a long year of preparation finally coming to a close, man, Trevor, how are you feeling? It's been a crazy past couple days, and... We'll get into this, obviously, but not even just for the draft. I mean, there's been a couple trades. There's been a couple decisions with free agency. And, you know, the funny thing is we're, we might even be dating ourselves a bit here because when this podcast will be released, uh, it'll probably be released like a couple hours before free agency actually starts. So who knows what's going to happen with that? Um, but yeah, just been a crazy past couple days. And I'm definitely feeling... I don't know. I guess we'll we'll get into the overall draft thoughts, um, but it's an intriguing class for sure. And like, I'm I'm happy to have some of these prospects, but I think I think it's fair to say both of us are a bit underwhelmed. But um, we will get into those specific prospects in a second. Yeah, for sure. Part of me is 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 actually quite happy, just in terms of that this time is finally over. There's been so much anticipation. So much hard work has been poured in by both of us going to this draft class. And uh, in a sense, just to know that um, we've done the best that we can in preparing all of you for that draft class is uh, a nice sense of relief. But um, in terms of the sense performance, yeah, decisions were made, many of which we do not agree with, as you can probably see from a mile away. So uh, we're just going to go in chronological order for what's happened so far, because there really is so much to talk about. So do you want us mm-hmm. to give us the first uh, first big news op? So, uh, yeah, actual chronological would be uh, Tim Stutzla at third overall. Uh, I think a lot of people were going to be ecstatic whether we got Quentin Byfield or Tim Stutzla. And so the manifestation for Byfield, that obviously didn't work. I'm just, I was just a huge fan of him. That, that's not to say that I'm not a fan of Stutzla, and I think he's going to be a fantastic player for Ottawa. I, I really hope that he can stick at center uh, it sounds like they're going to put him on the left wing to start. Um, and, and hopefully he can play on that second line immediately because I, I think he can play at the NHL, um, you know, in this coming season. He might not necessarily be uh, an amazing player right away, but just, yeah, like looking at what they have organizationally, they really need him to be that first line center because if he's not, then I don't know, like they kind of have to look elsewhere for that first line center. But uh, yeah, super happy to have him. Seems like a great kid. I just love his smile and s- to see how happy he was. So, um, and also the Alex Trebek thing. I mean, that was just that's an instant classic right there. Oh man, I, I agree with you on all fronts there. And I mean, I took a lot of heat for uh, where I'd ranked suits. Well, I ranked him fifth on my draft board prior to the draft. And in the SB Nation mock draft, we picked Lucas Raymond over Tim Stutzla. So. I think it's interesting coming from this perspective where as someone who would have preferred Raymond would have preferred Rossi, but also taking a step back and looking at how this top of the draft class was shaping up to be like, there's a lot of elite players in this top tier, especially forwards. And Stutz was right in there, right in the mix in the conversation to be the best one in that. And I could see there's definitely a good case to to be made for that. Obviously his, his hands are the best in the draft class. He's such an energetic player. Um, Like, the way he moves around the ice so efficiently is just so incredible to watch. So yeah, I'm 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 fully aboard hyping up Tim Stutzla at third overall. Uh, I think that is uh, it has huge potential to be a home run of a pick. 
Um, he, I, I agree with you that he probably could be in the NHL next season, even though I think there um, will be most likely be a pretty tough transition period. I don't expect him to be a full impact player right away. I think there are definitely some areas of his game, like he tends to play more around the perimeter a bit. He tends to uh, get himself in a tight state basis more often, which I don't think is going to help him out in the NHL level. Um, I think just transitioning from European to North American ice is going to be something to work on as well. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Tim Stutzla, so much to learn. Potentially, it will be so much fun too, just with his uh, with uh, his playing style. So, Tim Stutzla, welcome, welcome to the Ottawa Senators. I can't wait to see him put on that jersey and hit the ice. Same, and yeah, he's going to be so much fun to watch, uh, especially for a team that has these spots that are open. Um, and we'll get into a bit later why mm-hmm. there's there's some spots open um but yeah he, he'll be so much fun to watch so i can't wait um do you want to go into fifth there's been a bit of nervous laughter this episode and i feel that it's kind of been partially leading up to this which is jake sanderson at fifth overall um so i'll just say this in my in my personal draft rankings i had sanderson ranked i think it was 17th right around there in the consensus rankings he was I think 7th to 15th or something like that. I'm just going off memory. I didn't write that down, but it's, well, it's suffice to say that Sanderson was a reach at 5th overall. Although, again, I, I go back to what I said earlier, that looking at the draft, there's a bunch of players with unique skill sets at the top who you, you really just have to take your pick on who you like best in that. And there's argument to include Sanderson in that tier because... In, when it comes to transition, he is easily the best player in this dra- in this draft class among defensemen, um, and I'd argue he may even be at the top from last year's draft class and maybe even the draft class before. When it comes to that, he is really elite when it comes to transitioning the puck from the defensive zone through the neutral zone and into the offensive zone. He's really really good at that and can do it in a variety of ways. He has great top speed too. Um, maybe not all the versatility you want, especially in the offensive zone, but it's also something to love, but he has all these great tools, but, and I think he's going to be a great player, but it's a huge, but the players they left on the board are the, the players they left on the board are so amazing too. And I think there's a, when you want to make a head to head case for each player, even though there's unique skill sets, I think it's really tough to make the case for Sanderson ahead of players like Marco Rossi, Cole Perfetti, Alexander Holtz, Anton Lindell, heck, even Jamie Drysdale, who I still believe was is the best defenseman in this draft class, who went to Anaheim at the at the next pick. So, if you if, if you're looking at what you want from the draft, um, I personally abide by the opinion that you want to bet on these high end high end offensive skill sets. Those are the things that are extremely extremely hard to teach, and why this draft class was so special because you have so many players at the top who can do all of that at such an elite level already. Sanderson falls well short of that, um, especially when you compare him to Drysdale. Um, I think it's interesting looking at, at uh, his season in kind of two parts. In the first half, he wasn't even on anybody's radar in, in this in this uh, era. He, he was kind of lackadaisical in a bunch of senses. Uh, he wasn't taking many risks in, in transition or even in the offensive zone. And in the second half, he was taking more of these, these uh, risks and playing more creatively. Um I could even liken him to like a Helga Granz in in his offense in the way he's playing offense in the second half, taking more risky plays, uh, driving up in the offensive zone more. Even though he would get himself into some tight spaces and and, and uh, had some pretty questionable decisions in, in there, 
Um, he was fine. He was doing well offensively. So you kind of have to balance it though. Like what are you going to, he has half a season of, of being a fine offensive player. That's still pretty far from uh, all the other players that the Sens passed on. Like you look at Marco Rossi, for example, who was my personal pick there, um, who led the entire CHL in scoring, which like, if he doesn't pan out, that's going to be one of the biggest outliers data outliers in, uh, in a long time in the CHL. And seeing him fall to Minnesota at ninth, I believe it was, I think is one of, if not the biggest steal of the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Jake Sanderson, I, I want to emphasize a lot that he is probably going to be a good to really great to maybe even elite player, but getting him at fifth overall in a franchise defining draft where the Sens are looking for the players that are going to define them for the next decade, getting a player who like if you're taking the median of his outcomes is like a second pair defenseman, high end second pair defenseman. That's not what you're going for at fifth overall. I, I'm sorry to say that uh, Sanderson was was a reach, and I hate that it's going to be tied to him in his career this way, um, especially when I have full confidence that the players I mentioned earlier are going to um, like almost lap him, guys like Rossi and Perfetti, in terms of skill sets. These guys could be... They have the, they have the ceiling to be top 10 scorers in the league and some of the most impactful players for the next decade, whereas Sanderson, well, he could be... He could reach that, like, there's so much uncertainty with projecting him forward that um, I'm still very hesitant to say that this was anything but a reach. You know what, Colin? Yeah, I I agree with with pretty much all of that. And here's how I would put it, right? I think Sanderson has one of the highest floors out out of any of these guys. And I think the chances of him making the NHL and being an NHL regular are very high. Um, especially amongst defensemen. So in that sense, you know, having a guy like that in the system is very valuable. And, um, you know, just following his development, like it'll be exciting to watch him and and come into Ottawa and be a part of that team because I think he will be a valuable, valuable piece, like you were saying. But I, w- I kind of had my, my heart set on Lucas Raymond. And I honestly, like going into the draft, I thought we were going to get him. Um of course, we Ottawa couldn't have taken him since Detroit took him at four. But, you know, okay, so Sanderson, I can kind of see the comparison to someone like, n- not that, you know, he's this exact player, but sort of someone of the ilk of like a Ryan McDonough, okay? Would you rather have someone like Ryan McDonough or Mitch Marner, who's been to, compared to Lucas Raymond, or, I don't know, like Braden Point for Marco, Marco Rossi, right? It's... Those aren't perfect comparisons, but those are sort of the the type of players that you could be getting with Raymond or Rossi. And even if they'd taken Perfetti, I think he can kind of be in that tier as well. So yes, McDonough, a guy like McDonough is going to be very valuable for your team. And I don't think anyone would argue against that. Um, and, you know, it'll be great to have him on that second pairing eventually, hopefully. But their need was much higher at the forward level. and. I don't even think that drafting Rossi or Perfetti or, or, you know, even Holtz, I don't think that was, would have been drafting for need. I think those players like you would agree are just better anyway. So it's, and let, like you say, it's, it's, um, it's unfortunate that he is going to be tied to being taken so high because I do really love him as a prospect. And like, you know, say if, the Islanders pick ended up being 14th or 15th and Ottawa was able to get him there. I would have been ecstatic. I would have been all over him. So it's, 
it's disappointing in that sense. Um, and also, you know, we, we can't not mention that he's going to be playing at the University of North Dakota this season. Yep. So, you know, you have Jacob Bernard, Jacob Bernard Docker, Shane Pinto, Jake Sanderson, and then who we'll get into in a second, another uh, defenseman that they picked in the second round. And, you know, in the past, they've had Christian Willanin, Johnny Tyconic was there as well. And then he transferred, um, can't remember exactly where he transferred to, but yeah, he was at UND. So they love their UND guys. And yeah, it's, it's just a pick where, and, and I feel like a bit of a broken record because I feel like I've said this so many times over the past couple of years, but you, you know, you like the player, but not at that spot, really. Yep, exactly. It feels like this is really one where they played it safe and overthought it. And I mean, I say play it safe, but even then, you, you mentioned he has one of the highest floors, even compared to guys like Rossi and Lindell, especially. I disagree with that, too. So these are guys with super high floors as well. So. It, yeah, it just feels like there's a lot of overthinking that went into, into, into this pick. He's a guy that scouts fall easily in love with, um, but I also don't understand how they also, they also didn't fall in love with Rossi and Perfetti in, in the same way. So um, I, I've been tracking data on some different things recently. Um, I mean, I say recently, it's been well over a year I've been doing this, but uh, the consolidated rankings give like an average draft value. You convert each pick into a draft value. Um I'm not going to explain it all here. I just suggest it's my, it's my pin tweet. I have the explainer there. Um, but if you if you take the average player's draft value and find the difference between the expected pick value, uh, Sanderson was the second biggest reach in this draft, ne- uh, second to Yegor Chinakov, who was like one of the <laughs> biggest reaches we've seen in a long time, actually, I, in my opinion, at least. But taken by Columbus, I think 20th or 21st, something like that. So I think that says a lot. The public was not high as not nearly as high on Sanderson, mm-hmm. and I think there's good reason why they weren't as high on Sanderson. And I think if you want to take a, even though there is a solid case for a player of his skill set to be taken fifth overall, like again, take your pick of the unique skill set. There's nobody else like him to compare him to directly in this draft class because he's he's in that sort of own class. But yeah, just looking at outward draft philosophy and taking the players that are going to make the most impact on your team or have um, likelihood of making that giant impact on your team. Uh, Sanderson really does not stack up in my yeah. opinion. You know, and I, I will say for people who are looking for a bit of a um, bit of positivity here, I will say that Sanderson was one of the biggest risers in the second half of the season. So Ottawa yes. does love these players who are sort of late bloomers, I guess. And, and guys who are, you know, maybe, maybe in, in the last year, uh, of their development or even six months of their development have like really shot up the rankings. So that's definitely their MO. And, you know, we, we just saw last year with a guy like Pinto who was taken what 32nd overall. And, you know, people were kind of questioning that. And, you know, I still think I would have rather had someone like Arthur Kaliev in that spot, but I'm really excited about Pinto. Now he had a fantastic freshman year at UND. So, you know, there, there's still a chance that Sanderson can keep developing. That's not out of the question, um, it's not as if these guys are set in stone with, with what they are. Having said that, I still do agree that I would have rather had one of those dynamic forwards because that's really what they need at that spot. Yeah, um, this is probably against the grain, but I, I feel like draft analysis is actually best on draft day. Um, and hindsight analysis doesn't really provide too much analysis, in my opinion, because um, teams are working with the information given available to them on draft day. 
Uh, they can't really see in the future and prospects are just inherently volatile that way. So I could actually see there is a chance that Sanderson is the most valuable player out of this draft. I'd just say it's very likely given the information we know today. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, shall we move on from that? <laughs> yeah, let's, so let's go to 28th. And that was uh, the pick Ridley Gregg from the Brandon Wheat Kings. Thoughts on him? Um, I mean, I understand it, I guess. Um, he was a mid-second rounder by both uh, the consensus rankings and the personal rankings. He was actually followed within the consensus expected range uh, just by a bit. Um, he's, a, uh, he's, a cent- he's a centerman. Uh, that's where he played last year for the Brandon Wheat Kings. Uh, I personally see him more as a winger. Uh, just given how he plays along the boards, he's very gritty. That's actually the thing you need to know most about this. Uh, he is gets in your face, um, tries to make as many problems for the other team just by being a physical presence and always being in the way and being that guy who's just a big pest. And that's a player that's really easy to fall in love with. And I see why the Sens did that. Uh, I also don't want to uh, forget to mention that like he does have some offensive creativity too. Um, he was over a point per game player in the WHL last year, and that's not nothing. That's more than some of their late round players are doing as overagers. So, um, I, I've, I've actually kind of grown on him as the years progressed in that sense too. I think he's actually can do a few things in the offensive zone that are, that are pretty fine. He can get into dangerous areas, all right. Um, his his uh, expected goal numbers were were fine, um, but also worth mentioning that he's he is pretty sluggish in that sense. Um, there is going to be some place with this his skating that's going to need to come along even though he's always buzzing around the ice and always seems to be that energy guy um just getting to a, a place in the offensive zone getting into dangerous areas and uh finding those passing seams i guess um it, it's going to take some work and i think those are coachable things so uh, i'm not actually too too worried about that um but yeah i think for me it, it again sort of comes down to the sanderson pick just on a much lesser extent i like the player i think he's fine um, but there is so much more talent left on the board. Uh, so many great players falling down who I would have much, much preferred. Uh, because ultimately, given Greek's skill set, I, at this point at least, I see him topping out as no more than really a bottom six forward. Maybe a middle six guy. Uh, he'll probably play on an energy line somewhere, given what he likes to do on the ice. Um, but yeah, again, there there's so many high-end players with with uh, superior offensive skill sets, far superior offensive skill sets, I say. Especially Maverick Bork is the guy. Who I think mm-hmm. I would have taken in the top fifteen, even um, extremely um, creative and smart and cerebral, and um, can manipulate his opponent so well. That's the guy I would have targeted. Went to the Dallas Stars at thirtieth overall. That was a that was a another one of the big steals of the draft. It might be one of the kind of marquee ones of of uh, I think we'll be looking back on. Um, but like <laughs> I actually have this written down. But if you look at uh, um, my overall. Um, top 62 rankings that I posted to Silver 7 Cents. Uh, every single one of the 11 players ahead of Ridley Gregg had ranked ahead. You have Brendan Bersan, uh, you have Maverick Bork, who I mentioned, Ozzy Wiesblatt, another versatile forward who um, maybe maybe not the highest ceiling, but I think he has some better underlying numbers too. Um, you have William Wallander, defenseman, <laughs> Roby Arventi, who we'll get into in a second, uh, Paterka, Grans, Colangelo, Kuznetina, Bordelo, O'Rourke. I, we, we profiled all these players at Silver 7 Cents. I, I recommend checking it out. I, I talk about all these players uh, in depth to a certain extent. So it just shows that there are lots of high-end talent that was still left on the board that the Suns passed up on in, in uh, by way for selecting the safer player. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, not a fan of the Greg, Greg pick. Uh, nowhere near to the extent of, of the Sanderson pick. 
But uh, yeah, I think this is just going to be a bit of a running theme going forward for this draft. Totally. And I, I have a lot of those same thoughts. I'm a bit surprised actually that they didn't take um, Stutzler's German friend, JJ Paterka. I thought that was for sure going to happen just because they've, they've really, and I could get into this in a sec. Um, they, it seems like it's their strategy to, you know, bring in guys who are buddies, bring in players who have played with each other. So I thought it would have made a lot of sense for them to, you know, package both Stutzler and Paterka, bring in these two German guys who are comfortable with each other, um, come to Ottawa together. But I guess not. I guess they were a lot higher on, on Greg. And that's, like you're saying, that's fine. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was definitely hoping for for some higher upside players. But as as I'm going to say a bunch, you know, I've been saying this for years, so it really shouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 this this year is supposed to be a franchise defining draft. Three first round picks. These are the these are the types of picks you need to use to really swing for these high upside players who are going to fill in that top of the lineup and and can anchor the team to the top of the standings. Hopefully for the next decade. Um, Greg, well, again, there's volatility to prospects, so I don't want to speak into in extreme certain terms. But as of now, knowing the information that we currently have. Uh, he's more likely to project into a middle six forward than many of the players that were left on the board. So, mm-hmm. which and you know he can still be an NHLer, but oh, they yeah. don't need guys like that, right? For sure, they're 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 less of a need than these higher skilled guys who are gonna who are ultimately going to have more of an impact on the game uh, if they pan out. Like if 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 all these players pan out, I I doubt that Greg is one of the better players in that in in that group. So yeah, all right. Yeah, let's move on to the 33rd pick now. Um, and we have a Finn for, I think, the first time since Marcus Nermi in 2016. And that's a, is it Robbie or Roby? Yarventi. Yeah, Roby Yarventi. Robbie, yeah. Uh, yeah, for uh, the first Finn playing out of Finland since Marcus Nermi. Of course, they drafted Lassie Thompson last year, too. Yeah. Um, so this was actually probably, outside of the first round, this was easily my favorite pick, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I know the consensus range... Uh, or the consensus rankings had him as a, marked as a reach. They are actually more had him as a second to early third rounder. Um, I think that this is the type of players that, as I mentioned with Greg, um, I, I, these are the types of players that I wanted them to re, to uh, take more swings on. Um, I personally like him at the top of the second round. I had him ranked at, actually at this exact um, spot, I think 32nd or 33rd on my list, on my personal list. Uh, but yeah, he has his high ceiling, potential top six goal score, uh, fantastic shot, maybe not top tier with guys like Holtz and Gungler, but he has uh, excellent top speed, um, even though he can kind of get into into, um, into trouble with it sometimes, um, but he's just has a natural instinct to get into great positions for high danger chances. He's just a natural overall goal scorer. And I think it's also worth mentioning that he did this in the Messes League playing for Kuvi, uh, which I think is just an awesome team name, but uh, he did this All in caps, the Messes. All by the way. Kuvi, you have to say it loud. Kuvi, yeah. uh, he, he did he did it against men. This is the mess this week. He's actually playing in the second tier pro league. Think of it as like the AHL, but of like Finland. Like he wasn't playing in the Liga, he was playing in the league below that. But I mean that that is still a good accomplishment. I mean, very few players uh, in their draft year play in the Mestis, so it's it's super uh, hard to actually find a statistical comp- uh, comparison. Um. Although, like, he, he still is way in the top, like, well above uh, leader in point per game among all draft-eligible players, because there have been a few who have come there. I think uh, uh, Jesse Yolanin was another one, I believe, 
maybe I'm getting that wrong. Hmm. But uh, anyways, just to sum it up, yeah, he he's um, he is a higher upside player who I'm personally more convinced of than maybe some of the consensus rankings. So maybe you can be a bit more wary of that because, of course, other people seem to be disagreeing with me on that. But uh, yeah, good on Yarventi for uh, coming into the system. Um, like, yeah, I, I'm happy with this one. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree. I think he was easily my favorite pick outside of Stutzla at third. Um, and I think it's worth mentioning too that he, so, you know, he's only played a few few games this season, but he's playing in Ilvis, which was uh, Lassie Thompson's team last season. And he, he did play five games on Thompson's team last year as well. So guarantee that, you know, Ottawa saw him when when they were scouting, or not scouting Thompson, but like keeping track of Thompson, I guess. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, that's another connection. It seems like pretty much every pick they make, there's some sort of connection with uh, a past prospect. So just kind of interesting. Yeah. I also want to mention that this still would have was kind of far from my ideal pick. I, maybe I'm kind of overcompensating for the rest of the draft by kind of hyping this one up a bit. Because, like, if the Sens wanted a goal scorer, why would they have passed on Dole Gungler? He went a couple picks later to the Carolina Hurricanes, who um, the same formula I mentioned earlier, Mark does the biggest deal of the draft. Um, he w- he was still probably a top 15 talent in this draft this year, just in terms of his pure goal scoring ability, even though there are some inconsistencies, sort of like Yarventi. Because um, I, I think it's also worth mentioning that Yarventi definitely has some consistent, consistency issues, which is why he isn't going higher in the draft. He sometimes just shuts off and uh, makes questionable decisions and um, and Gungler is kind of that, but amplified a bit more, but also that offensive creativity is amplified by like a whole bunch too. So why they didn't go for, or for Gungler and they went for Yarventi instead is, is a bit questionable. Uh, a few other players I would have gone for ahead maybe, but I, I, but I can, I can count those at least on probably two hands. Unlike most of the other picks in this draft. Yeah. So like, that's the one I'm going to least complain about because I like Yarventi as a player. So I, I really don't, I'm not going to stress about it too much. Um, yeah. But okay, let's, uh, we've got a lot of picks to go through. So let's, okay, next one is definitely pretty interesting. 44th, 44th overall. Do you want to go over that one? <sighs> Trade it up. As soon as they, as soon as I heard they were trading up to 44th, I, I t- posted to Twitter, this, this, this feels like another Mad Stogard situation <laughs> where they're trading up to take a player they're going to reach on. And by God, even though this wasn't a reach by the consensus rankings officially, they picked Tyler Cleveland at 44th overall. Um, yeah. Do, do, do you want to talk about it? Uh, okay, so... So, yeah, they gave up the... I believe it was the 59th and the 64th picks. So, you know, end of the second and early third picks, which um, I can't remember exactly who the Leafs picked with those guys, but I would much rather have those two than, than Cleveland. Topi Nimala and who was it? Another finish. Roni Hervinen. That's it. Running, yeah. Oh, yeah. He exactly. He could have gone where Greg went. Realistically, um, anyway, though. So, <clears throat> so Cleveland, like I was alluding to earlier, is also going to UND. No shocker there. So, you know, I, I don't know if he'll be at, actually on a pairing with Sanderson or Bernard Docker. He's another left-hand shot, and he's a huge guy. He's oh, how tall is he? Uh, six foot four. Six four. Okay, yeah. So yeah, yeah, massive guy, and uh, it's frustrating because, yeah, like you said, he technically wasn't a reach based on the consensus rankings, but from what I'm seeing, pretty much the best thing 
that scouts have to say about him is that he's hard-nosed, he competes hard, hard to play against, but pretty much everyone is saying that he doesn't have great puck skills or passing ability. So I don't know how that translates at the NHL level beyond a third pairing shutdown defenseman. Um, you know, like yeah. best case, he is some like like an actually um effective shutdown third pairing guy, which is fine to have, but you know, that's his ceiling. And you know, we can always be wrong. Um, I, I'm never going to say that I know more than scouts because I know I don't. I know I would be a terrible scout. But when, you, when you're reading these these uh, prospect rankings, that even, even guys who have Cleveland at 40th, they're, they're still saying that he's, he's limited offensively and things like that. So I don't know how a guy like that can be ultra successful in today's NHL, um, especially when they already have a bunch of other guys on the, on the left side, uh, you know, Shabbat, Willannon, Brandstrom, Sanderson now. So it's fine if they had taken him later, like whatever, if they got him in the third or fourth or something, but I really don't understand the need to trade up. Um, and I should say, let, let me, let me also say that I hate talking about these young guys as if, you know, like I, I don't want to slander them. You know, it's, it's like an 18 year old kid. And, um, it's fantastic that he got drafted to the senators and I I really wish him good luck. It just from a philosophical standpoint with the senators, I just fail to see why they would trade up um, for, for that kind of archetype of player. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's our role to analyze, but uh, I I have a bunch to add to this. Um, (laughs) So just even before the pick, trading 59th and 64th for 44th is never worth it. Um, point blank. You're, you're essentially giving up. To, it's essentially a two-for-one trade. Um, and obviously, seeing the Leafs, who the Leafs got with that tour is is probably going to look bad in hindsight. I feel pretty confident in saying that. Um, I'm much higher on both those players than Cleveland, even though I actually was pretty low on Mimola compared to the consensus. Uh, where the Leafs got him, I think, was still pretty great. Um but yeah, uh, Tyler Cleveland, I, I'm not sold on at all. He is, as you mentioned, he's tall, 6'4". Uh, that's about it um, mm-hmm. for the scouting report, to be honest. Um, he has a good shot from the point, actually pretty great shot from the point. He, he can really bomb it. I, I have to give him that. And he can hit as well. Um, but again, like these are not the types of skills you want to be going for in the draft, especially when you look at what he doesn't have, which is the offensive upside and the defensive upside and the decision-making. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is where, like, this is where we're allowed to criticize a pick like this. Even if we, you know, even if, though we can acknowledge, okay, we're not scouts, but we yeah. can at least look at this upside and see that it's really not there. Yeah. And uh, you wrote something on here, which I found pretty interesting. Um, but the, the last four players they traded up for uh, were Gabriel Gagne, Mad Silgard, Tyler Cleveman, and Logan Brown. Mm-hmm. And I actually just posted this to Twitter. But all these guys are over 6'4". Gabriel Gagne, 6'5". Logan Brown, 6'6". Mm-hmm. Mad Silgard, 6'7". Tyler Cleveman is actually the shortest of the bunch in 6'4", believe it or not. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I think it, it, we'll get into this later, but I think it just shows that the sense of a queer bias towards um, certain skill sets and certain things. And you mentioned University of North Dakota. Um, now he'll be he'll be going along with all these other prospects. Which I think in a vacuum is a good thing. I, I think it's actually pretty great to see um, prospects develop together. And I think that yeah. um, um, 
there are good things that can come out of that, especially. I just think that it almost seems like they had tunnel vision almost and just went for, um, they traded up a lot of value for a player who just isn't going to do much for their roster. So um, I, you, you mentioned that his ceiling is a, is a bottom pair guy. I'm not even confident he reaches that, to be honest. Um, I'm I'm that low on Cleveland. I mean, I, um, yeah, I would say ceiling, right? Like I, I wouldn't, I don't even think, actually, you know what? I bet you he will end up being in the NHL just because the NHL loves these tall guys. True. Uh, the other thing I, I forgot to mention as well is, is because he, I, he, I, I mentioned he is not technically a reach compared to the consensus rankings, but uh, keep in mind that the expected range was 43 to 96 and he was picked at 44th. So that's still very, very much on the high end. And also that um, he was only ranked by 54% of the sources mentioned. And when you're talking second round, you're talking about guys like, in the 60 sorry in this in the 60% up at least like Jan Misak was still available with that pick and he was ranked by every all 50 sources even if it was only a top 31 so um yeah lots of talent left on the board here um not as much the Greg pick because like um there's actually that period between the two picks actually there's a lot of great players who there's a run of pretty great players who went off the board there so but yeah, there's absolutely not the type of player I would have taken a swing on. Um, my int- my uh, gut feeling was right as soon as they traded those to uh, reach in a guy, and we I, I've gone on I, I've gone on too much about this. So let's let's move on yeah. to the next pick. Yeah, uh, in sixty first, rounding up the second round, uh, in, in Yegor Sokolov. What, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I, I think it's interesting to note with him as well. Another former Sens prospect connection. So. He's been in Cape Breton, and um, in 17-18, he played with Drake Batherson in Batherson's last season in the queue. So um, there's that connection there, and I, I believe Batherson was texting with him or something, um, just talking about the Senators organization. So um, he is a, he was in his draft plus two seasons, so he has a 2000 birth year. He's already 20 years old. Um, so, you know, obviously you have to take his stats with a grain of salt, but you know, he destroyed the Q last year with 46 goals in 52 games and also 46 assists. So even as a 20 year old, that's still very impressive production. So it's not like he's, um, you know, like I, I wouldn't totally write him off, even though he is a 20 year old, um, you know, for reference, Batherson had worse numbers in his draft plus two season. So who knows, like, you know, Batherson's turned into one of my favorite prospects, um, I'm definitely intrigued by him and he's huge guy, six, four, two forty. Um, but yeah, what about, uh, what about your thoughts on him? Yeah. I mean, all the goal scoring numbers are there from the last season. Uh, I think there's no doubt about that, but, uh, I think it's also a matter of looking at, um, scouting is a business of not looking at what he's doing in the present, but projecting into the future. And personally, I don't see there's too many projectable tools there, unfortunately, um, I, I think that he, he would have been a fine pick, but again, it was 61st overall. We're still talking second round. Lots of amazing players are falling down the board at this point. Other teams are taking their reaches, and the Sens just made another reach, I think, in uh, taking a double over Ager in, in the second round, which is something that um, I personally didn't really see coming. Um, even looking at the group of over Agers, he actually wasn't really even one of my favorites that I, I, I pegged in that group. Um, he's a tall guy at six foot four, also worth mentioning. But I think that's actually pretty key in looking at his stats because it really, really helped him dominate the QMJHL, which is very loose in their defense. And he can actually use that to 
a really high degree if you can utilize it correctly. Mm-hmm. And that's not gonna none of that's gonna exist at the NHL level. Uh, he's a very sluggish player. Um, lots to work out with this stride, which I mean, it can happen, but it didn't happen in his last two seasons. Um, and again, he's a draft plus two player, so it's not like you have as much runway to work with, like a 17, 18 year old who, uh, um, who has also been putting up some, uh, like n- not as ridiculous numbers, but is also not in their draft plus two season and, uh, doesn't have that exact like toolkit that allows him to dominate so well. So still a fine prospect. I think he still has, um, potential to, to be a useful NHLer, uh, but he is going to be a bit of a project. He's, he is a project pick and having a project pick at 20 years old is what do you want from a 20 year old second rounder? Really? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And again, I think there were some probably more interesting players at that spot. Um, I think he's probably a more skilled version of Gabriel Gagne. Gagne, you know, had injury issues uh, after he got drafted in the queue and definitely didn't have as, as good output. So um, hopefully Sokolov has a you know, better beginning to his AHL career because I would assume, I mean, he could play in Belleville as soon as this coming season, if there is a season in the AHL. So um, unless he wants to go back for one more overage year in the queue. But uh, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I'll be interested too. I mean, obviously COVID is affecting everything. So who knows how all these overagers that the Sens have taken this year are going to go go forward with. But yeah, uh, not my not my personal favorite pick. Um, I, again, I think there were so many, so many great players who I would have actually gone, above, uh, gone for at this range because, I mean, other teams were making their reaches too and players were falling down the board and Sens ended up being one of those teams who just kept and kept on reaching. So um, yeah uh let's move on because this is already yeah. a long episode thank oh, you so yeah. much for bearing thank you so much for bearing with us but um at 71st um this is we're into the third round now uh because of course the Suns traded away a couple picks for various things but we have uh levy Marilinen, who um yeah uh, i'll just say this that out of the 50 sources i tracked this year uh zero had him ranked um this is yeah. this this, th- th- this was this year's victor loden pick the guy who probably was going to go undrafted. And for some reason, the Sens thought that, well, we got to take him in the third round. I can s- kind of see a little bit of their perspective. Like the, the, if they're super high on him and their scouting staff is really fighting for him and they have that kind of tunnel vision on him and they, and they see that they're not picking again until 155. So, okay, we, we got to take him here because or else there's a, a chance he'll be available. But like, come on. You're talking about Levy Marilinen, who nobody else has kept tabs on. I, I, I can't say anything about his game, not only because I, I never actually heard of him before this day, but because he's a goalie, and I'm pretty awful at goalie analysis. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, goalies are just weird, and personally, I don't even like taking them this high anyway, so taking one who um, was on no goalie scouts radar, like even, even looking at the... the even going from the goalie scouts who I, I trust more. You talk about people like Kat Silverman. Um, Nico Dawes was on the board and Dawes was, was it's been raved about by lots of, of these goalie scouts who know what they're talking about. Uh, Kelly Klang as well was the next goalie off the board actually uh, after Marilinen. So if they're taking a bet on the goalie, I can't say that Marilinen is bad because I don't know much about him and I haven't heard much from goalie scouts, but it seems like, uh, even if they wanted a goalie, they missed out on some stuff, but overall they missed out on a whole, whole bunch more too, by taking him this early. 
Well, you know what? I think that speaks to how small of a scouting staff they have. And this is a real issue because, you know, again, this is a year that they didn't draft anybody out of Russia. Um, you know, finally they drafted a guy like Stutzla out of the German league. Um, you know, they hardly ever draft out of anywhere besides Sweden and, and North America. Um, but, you know, I, I can totally I can totally see them um, watching Marilyn in a, a few times last season's uh, last season and, and being infatuated with them. And then I don't know, but I, I can also see a situation where they just really weren't able to watch enough of the other prospects enough, you know, a guy like Callie Klang. And it just I don't know. You're right. It, it's very high. Just like you, I had no idea who this guy was. So it like. I can't say, okay, this guy is going to be an absolute bust. And of course he's not going to work out. I don't know that I, you know, he, <laughs> he honestly, he could be anything like goalies. Sometimes will have some pretty awful stats in junior and, and even the AHL. And then sometimes they work out. So really who knows, but yeah, it is a bit weird to take him that high. Um, I'm assuming this was a Miko Rutu pick and he must've really loved him. So yeah, I mean, this is this is one that we'll have to wait uh, a long time to to analyze. And I should say, um, Trent Mann has mentioned that you know recently they've been wanting to take one goalie every every single draft. So I, I don't mind that strategy. Just you know, kind of keep that that system going. And sometimes you just don't sign them, like uh, Jordan Hallett a couple of years ago that didn't even sign him. So I don't mind that. But yeah, definitely a strange pick at seventy one. Yeah. If, if, if they probably could have waited to the seventh round, and even then, like, why Marilyn? And I'm I'm curious to know why they they were so infatuated with him. But yeah, uh, I think the most painful part to me was actually that the next pick right afterwards, the Calgary Flames took Jeremy Poirier, <laughs> who, if you've been following my draft coverage at all, you know that I am huge on Jeremy Poirier as a player you is a can't miss prospect that to swing on if he's available past like 20th overall. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I I've talked about it a bunch already. So the TLGR is that like, he is easily a top 20 player in this draft class in terms of offensive skill, but his defense is like flat out awful, like really, really bad. Um, and even, even if that defense comes a little bit, he can play competently within the system. Um, then I think that's still very worth it. I actually think there's even value if you move him to forward and don't even give him any more defensive <laughs> responsibility. Like his backward skating is awful. So like, why are you even having him on the back end, giving him responsibilities that are going to require that? So um, Paria was one of the most interesting prospects in this draft. And I don't think it's any surprise that he actually fell because teams are so risk averse because of course these scouts have their jobs on the line too. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's hard, it's hard to, um, so it's it's hard to really take those big risks, even though I think that um, all indications show that these risks end up being worth it. So it, it, uh, it, as long as you keep on taking them, maybe not in a vacuum, because obviously players, again, they're volatile and their prospects are young. They can change. But uh, that was just a bit of a painful moment for me, really. <laughs> Seeing a completely unranked player followed by one of my favorites in the draft. So Yeah, that's tough. Um, and just looking at the time here, why don't we group the last three together? Oh boy! Um, <laughs> I know it's a lot, to, a lot to put into one spot, but um, okay. So we have at one fifty fifth Eric Engstrand from the SHL. One fifty eighth. Okay, you got to help me with the last name pronunciation on this. Philippe. What's his last name? 
Philippe Daoust. Daoust, okay. Yeah, uh, and then 181st, Cole Reinhardt. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, we got Eric Engstrand, who was actually probably my favorite of, of the bunch, to be honest. Uh, I had my eye on him um, just as an overager from from, uh, from Sweden. Uh, he played in the Super Elite last year uh, and was one of the top scorers there. He put up good results. Uh, he like he was only ranked by one source, so I still definitely have some skepticism because I can't say I've actually watched him. I mean, I, that's me playing into the whole draft nerd and whatever, um, the spreadsheet nerd, but... Um, yeah, uh, he 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 had he maybe he has some stuff there. I don't know. The Fury Davos, who also actually had zero rankings, sort of like Marilyn of the fifty source I'm tracking. So a bit like again, these are all players who like there are still some players who are falling, and I would have taken better, more different swings in this. But I mean, I I, just, I didn't hear of Davos or Reinhardt before this draft anyway, so I'm not going to actually analyze them too much. But uh Davos had some pretty mediocre raw numbers uh really middle of the pack in terms of like primary points earned for 60 minutes i get a G- uh, goals for percentage relative of minus 6.91 so why this guy i don't know i haven't watched him i, I haven't read about him so um it turns it looks like he's a playmaker actually uh from mitch brown's data uh, his tracking data manual track data uh of course recommend supporting it on patreon read read elite prospects too uh, he was actually in the 99th percentile for shot assists for 60 minutes, which I think is actually pretty notable uh, for a draft-eligible prospect, even though he hasn't put up um, very solid numbers. But uh, it just means that he was making a lot of passes that directly resulted in shots. So I'll have to do more research into what system he was playing in, who he was playing with. This is super preliminary. I hadn't heard of Daoist until the draft, so yeah. that's that. And let's go. Okay, I got it quickly. I took too long on that. Next is Cole Reinhardt, uh, Ridley Gregg's teammate on Brandon. Uh, shocker really i mean like they're they're they've taken the connections another overager um I'm kind of similar to Oost in that like he 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 put up pretty mediocre per 60 numbers especially for an overager but uh, i mean at that weight just take who you like i guess he did find his own entries too last year uh from the same track data so anyways that is your 2020 ottawa senators draft class yeah so it is quite the interesting class they ended up with 10 picks um, after trading away the fourth for Josh Brown, the third to move up to take Cleveland and the second in Matt Murray, who we will touch on in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I'll let you get your thoughts in after here or after just what I want to say here. Um, you know, just after looking at this list right now, it is pretty disappointing to see that I guess like Yarventi is the biggest risk and like biggest swing they took on a guy i mean i I like sokolov too but he's also a 20 year old so i wouldn't really call that like a big swing especially because he was um ranked a bit lower so like i don't know their their system has so many guys that kind of profile as second third liners second pairing d kind of kind of types so they're good on depth they have an insane amount of depth like they probably have the best depth out of any prospect system. Like maybe there's one or two that have a bit better. Um, overall though, they're probably more in like the five, six range, but yeah, like you, you really need to supplement what you have already at the top. And to me, like the only guy that really profiles like that is Stutzla. And it's a bit disappointing that they just didn't take a swing on a guy like, um, 
uh, Maverick Bork or, you know, Helga Granz or going for Jan Myshak or, or something like that, right? So they had so many picks available and they still took the safe ones or, you know, just took a massive reach. So it's, I don't know. They, a lot of these prospects will still be interesting to watch. And, and it's not as if these these players aren't, aren't interesting and, and won't be NHL players. But that's not what they need right now. They don't need just NHL players. They need high-end talent. And I think that was a big missed opportunity for them. High-end talent is so hard to acquire. Um, unless it's coming from the Ottawa Senators, I guess. Um, yeah. Unless, unless it's <laughs> that, like... Uh, the the draft is where you need to really take your swings for that. That's There's few places where you can do that. I mean, free agency, you're taking older players and you're generally overpaying. Uh, trades, they don't come along very often because teams like to hold on to their high-end players. So the draft is, like, the best option for that. Everyone says your your teams are... Contenders are built through the draft. And the sense need to get they still lack that high-end talent after this i mean stuchla obviously feels a big big part of that but you and you look at contenders they aren't there they don't just have those one or two elite guys they have these like plethora of high skill players budding in the top of their lineup and throughout the depth as well so um the signs aren't trending towards that unfortunately i mean you talk about their depth of prospect systems um there's the depth, but are, how are those depth players going to pan out? Are, are, are they going to turn into these um, high-skill players? I mean, there aren't, aren't as many. Um, I, th- I feel like some teams definitely passed them after this draft after this draft year in terms of uh, what some other teams did in, with their picks. So um, I'll, I'll talk a bit about uh, just a, pro- a preliminary metric I'm working with. It, it has some it has some downsides to it, but. Um, I think it still is fairly accurate um, a representation of, of what I'm trying to get at. But um, again, if, if you talk about the value of the players that are acquired, the Suns actually came out first overall in the league. Um, getting Stutzla and Jake Sanderson in, in, in the top five, that's massive and vaults them right into that top tier. There are a couple other teams there. Uh, I'll actually bring it up in just a second. Uh, it was the Senators, the Red Wings, and the New York Rangers were that top echelon of teams that got like an immense amount of value out of the draft and a lot of that came from the top but if you look at the efficiency of pick use so i mentioned the differences earlier you take the value difference and subtract the expected value of that pick the sends came out 31st in the league for the second straight season that is <laughs> the last thing you want to hear about a team that is developing and acquired all these picks by trading away all these beloved, incredible players. So so I think, Colin, I, I think a good way of putting it too is that essentially they, instead of having, you know, if they have a second round pick and a third round pick, it's essentially as if they have like a third round pick and a fourth round pick, correct? That You can think of it that way. And yeah. I think you can even think of it concretely. You know, like Merrill Wyden was, uh, he, he, he cost them a third round pick but according to the consensus, at least, he was nowhere near worth a third-round pick. Um, so, and, and you kind of take those differences and add them up in, in the 31st for the second year in a row. So, like, the, the, you, you re- we really have to stop, stop giving the benefit of the doubt to the Sun scouting staff. Scouting decisions are made with information available on draft day. And out of, out of the, as a consolidation of the 50 sources that I have, um, 
they collectively would agree that maybe not everyone individually, but as a collective, they agree that the Sens were the least efficient drafting team of this uh, of, of, for this year in the NHL. So again, like there's, I, I'd even go further than say they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. I think that is obvious at this point that they have certain biases mm-hmm. that they lean into way too hard. You look at these connections that they have. They, you look at how thin their scouting staff is and how much they're missing out on players. And then you look at the size. They took so many big players this year. And I don't want to assume things about their, their list, but like I wouldn't be surprised if you saw players like Emil Andre Huslet, for example, just on the do not draft list. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just for the fact that, that, that they're shorter players and they're below six foot. Did, did they? I, I, I can't remember about their, their seventh or their weight round picks, but I don't even think there might have been anyone under six feet that they drafted this year, which is like ridiculous. Like you're talking yeah. about teenagers still. These players still have some room to grow as well. So like, come on, what are we doing here? Like, yeah. it feels like they're just being ignorant. And this has been a trend as well in 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 their last years as well with this current group of scouting staff that they have signed for a few more years. So um, as an overall grade, um, I, I, I've gone back and forth on this. It's, it's so hard when you have that first and total value acquired. They, they've... They, Undoubtedly, came away with some of the with some with maybe the best crop of players from this draft, just based on Stutzla and Sanderson alone, um, and 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 just the volume of picks they had as well. Obviously, they didn't pick the most, but they had a lot of that was concentrated at the top. But that thirty first in pick efficiency is really bugs me so much. And overall, I came away giving them a C minus. Uh, Tim Stutzla is going to be a super important player for the Suns going forward, as is Jake Sanderson. Stutzla could be a franchise altering player i have no concerns with how he'll, he'll play in the nhl or i mean I, I have no concerns that he'll be a top player on the senators and possibly a top player in the nhl like he literally has a ceiling where he could be an art ross trophy winner one day mm-hmm. like he is that good um but again like they they there are so many questions there and this is supposed to be a franchise altering draft and they pass on so much value that the Sens team scouting performance this year is was one of the weaker ones, definitely. Well, so, and yeah, it's about, you know, I really don't want to put a damper on the draft, and I'm sure you don't either. Um, no. Nope. And they obviously got a lot of value, like you were saying, first in, in total value acquired. But it's about that. So they're at a certain level, but they should have been even higher, even more value, right? Like, we had even mm-hmm. higher expectations for for what they should have gotten. So, um, like obviously, if you're just grading them on in terms of the talent that they acquired, yeah, they should be getting like an A grade or something. But I, you know, like I could have either one of us could, could have uh, been at that draft table and we could have drafted some some very good players. So the expectations were, um, or sorry, not the expectations, like the. It, it wouldn't have been very hard to to get some impact talent. So I agree. I think I would have it somewhere in that C range, C minus, C, C plus, somewhere in there. Uh, do you remember that chart that Sean Tierney posted with the expected yes. draft value before yes. the draft? And the trends are off the board. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like their pick value was like, it, it was literally one of the highest that we'd seen in the last decade. It was that yes. good. Like you don't, you don't see three and five that often. But then you look at it comparatively now and you look at it afterwards and you see that there's now a top tier of teams that they're really close to. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's uh, certainly brings it down a lot. They went way below expectations. So, uh, yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll let you continue. No, I was just going to say they had a chance. I mean, still do technically, I guess, uh, a chance 
to have like the best draft of all time, to be honest. Like it's, yep. it's not very often where you get two top five picks. Um, I think it's only happened like five times total or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I think it's also important to mention that I would say that the Sen scouting staff is probably a bit better than average, maybe like 10th in the league, somewhere around there in terms of getting players to the NHL. So actually getting players NHL games. Um, and I would say that they are a bit worse, relatively worse, maybe like around league average at producing actual like quality talent. So, you know, guys like Stone and Carlson and Hoppen and, and all those. Um, so I think this draft kind of exemplifies that where I think a lot of these guys could be NHLers like Cleveland and um, Greg and, and guys like that. But I don't know how much of an impact they're actually going to make at the NHL level. So it's, yeah. And, and also I've been seeing a lot of stuff about, oh, you know, I was wrong about, not not me personally, but people on Twitter saying, oh, I was wrong about Kachuk a couple years ago, so I'm going to give Dorian the benefit of the doubt. I don't think that's really fair. I mean, yes, I think a lot of us were wrong about Kachuk, and, you know, he's proven a lot of people wrong, myself included. I Same. Um, you know, he's definitely surpassed my expectations so far. But I don't think that one player um, gives should give Doran the benefit of the doubt for and Trent Mann for every single pick moving forward, especially since a lot of these, you know, we can see a pattern with these picks where they're sort of these lower ceiling players that, I don't know, just kind of all often have a lot of connections to other players. And um, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say like, okay, I'm going to hold back and not, um, judge the draft or whatever, especially if you don't know a lot about the prospects. That's cool. That's fine. But I think it's also fair for us to critique what they've done and who they passed on, whether we're correct or not. Like there's, you know, there's still a chance that this draft class does end up being absolutely insane. And a guy like Sokolov and Marilyn or whoever turn out to be good players. But it's, I don't know. I mean, it's just a bit disappointing to see that uh, it seems like they're sometimes passing up on some higher end players. Yeah. This always seems to be how the draft goes. They got good players, but yes, there's always the, but do you have any other last quick thoughts on the draft? Uh, I think that's about it. Um, Wow. We're almost at an hour. Thanks yeah. so much for, uh, <laughs> if, if you made it this far, we still got more to go. Yeah, actually have sorry to- folks. <laughs> now, Colin, there's definitely a couple other things we got to talk about uh, besides the draft. So there was a trade, or sorry, two trades and a qualifying offer to talk about. So the first one, let's start with the Matt Murray trade. Um, came over from Pittsburgh for this 52nd pick and Johnny Gruden. Thoughts on the trade? I mean, personally, I'm not a fan. I think that's uh, anyone who knows my thoughts on goalies is probably good. Again, I can see that from a mile away. Um, I think that there is some relief that came with that because we saw the rumors um, that it might have taken the 28th, might have taken 33rd overall, might have taken uh, one of the top prospects, someone like Logan Brown or even Philip Schlopik even, to uh, acquire Matt Murray. Ended up being 52nd in Gruden, so I think that it's uh, not nowhere near as bad as there was from from that. But, like, again, goalies are so volatile. Like, you can't... Matt Murray last season was 
worse than a backup goalie. He was not one of the top, one of the 62 best goalies in the NHL last season. It's he was pretty pretty darn awful. But the season before, he was a top 10 goalie. So like he, he's going to fall somewhere in there next season. Who knows where which side is going to be? Um, and that's the, the same thing is like finding a goalie who could be top 10 or could be worse than a backup. You can find those anywhere. You can find those in free agency. You can find those for a fourth or fifth or sixth or whatever round pick. Sen's got a couple of those in Mike Condon and Anders Nielsen in the last couple of years. Just a nice stopgap options who are going to follow somewhere in the middle there. So Matt Murray, while it could turn out really good, uh, I think it's hard to justify spending a second round pick on a goalie when you can get one who's going to have that same sort of volatility and that same sort of range for essentially for free in free agency. I mean, the Sens aren't tough on the, on the, are close to the cap at all. So, um, well, I wish Matt Murray, I hope the best for Matt Murray, obviously. Um, and I think there is potential that he could be turn out really, really good. Um, it could also turn out really, really bad. And I think that looking back at a season from now, when we're going to have the benefit of hindsight, we're going to have to remember that this is a wide range of possibilities. It, you know, it's weird being the positive one for once. Um, I, I definitely <laughs> wouldn't. I don't think I would have personally made the trade and I don't think I would have gone hard after Murray. But like you say, you know, I was expecting that it would have cost like the 28th pick and maybe even something else. So the fact that it was only the 52nd and Gruden, um, I'm totally fine with that. I can accept that. And, you know, you can look at who was available at 52nd and who they could have taken. But in reality, you know, they would have probably gone off the board like we were saying before. So, um, you know, it's not as if they would have gotten one of those. I'm not sure exactly who was there, but um yeah, so I think that's a bit, you know, thinking about it in, in terms of that way is a bit better. So I'm not, I wasn't really that high on Gruden anyway. Um, so just then, to chime in, yeah, I think it's funny that Pittsburgh actually ended up taking a goalie with that pick. They took yeah. Joe Blomquist. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I <laughs> think that was by design. I bet you they, you know, thought they, they uh, needed to add a goalie to the system. So um, not a bad pick, but yeah, I, I don't think it was too much to give up and I think there's something to be said for adding a guy that already has two Stanley Cups. I mean, I can't remember the last time they've had a guy on their team that has two Stanley Cups. I don't know if that's ever happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he's obviously he was brutal this year. There's no denying that he was he was one of the worst, but he's also been fantastic at points as well. And he's also been fantastic in the playoffs. So I think on the whole, well, let, let's say coming into this past season, so a year ago, I think you definitely would have had him as one of the, I don't know, maybe like top 15 goalies in the league, which I'm totally fine with with giving up those assets for a guy like that. Um, he's 26 right now, so not super young, but I still think he has some good years left in him, and I think there's still a chance that he can still be around when Ottawa is trying to be good as well. So, um you know, it's not like they give up a ton and I'm really interested to see, to see what he can do at least. And, um, you know, maybe like there's a chance that he can bring Ottawa to respectability a lot sooner. So who knows? I mean, heck, he's only six months older than Marcus Hogberg to the day, yeah, actually. Exactly. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can see why he has that kind of value on the trade market, but also at the same time, I, like, it, like he, he could 
he could turn it around for sure. He could also turn it not around after that and around after that and not around after that. Like the goalies are so weird. We can't think of them in the same realm as skaters who um, can reach a level and can maintain that level for seasons on end um, for a decade or whatever, however long their their um, their uh, development timeline or their aging curve dictates. Their personal mm-hmm. one, yeah. Um, goalies just don't do that. So, um, well, I think it is interesting from the perspective. I can give I can give it to you there that it, he was a bylaw option. Um, just because he's coming off his worst season to date by far. Um, I also think that uh, there's no guarantee that he actually gets better from that either. So um, yeah, y'all know my thoughts on goalies at this point. Just go for a stopgap option. Even then, the Sens don't need a good goalie either way. I I wonder if they see him as a long-term option. I think they do. I'm curious to see what his contract is going to be this year. Because uh, the... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I I honestly have no idea what it's going to look like. It could be well, one so, year. It could be multiple. Well, we should we should mention that I really doubt it would be one year, just because he'd be a UFA at that point. Um, True. I after you know anything over five years, so five, six, seven, or eight, I think is probably out of the question. That would be pretty long contract to give out for a guy who's coming off of a terrible year. So I think perfect scenario is three to four years i would personally go three um you know you can always re-sign him after that if he's still playing well so i think three or four would be best and he'll probably be making somewhere between four and five million i would hope yeah well heck i wonder what murray's bargaining chip is going to be in all of this because he has the power <laughs> as we've seen with some players before to go for that one year deal <laughs> oh, and wink God, wink please unrestricted don't. free agency no he's you know he he's talked about in in the interviews that he's excited i know i know but um they all say that for sure for sure um but yeah still excited to see what he can do at least it's not you know we talk about swinging for the fences with some of these picks you know what this is a swing for the fence so i will give doran (laughs) that it's at least a risk and it's it's something to uh it's something that has a lot of upside potential upside i should say sure also, lots of potential downside. For I sure, I think it's kind of hundred percent. It's kind of split. It's, it's split in the middle there. That's why uh, there's risk, right? But I'll take yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I guess we'll go on to the other trade because while well, we're talking about trades, and this one was just came fresh off the press, like an hour, a couple hours before. I, I can't remember. I was at work before uh, this podcast is recording. The Suns traded for Erica Branson. Uh, gave up what was it, the fifth round pick in 2021. Yeah, mind you. Say, um, you want to give us the lowdown on what happened here? Yeah, so Good Branson's got four million dollar cap it for this year. Just has one year left. Uh, I believe he's only making three million in salary. So, you know, that's obviously something that Melnick loves. Um, not gonna lie, I really don't understand this. Um, so Good Branson's a right hand shot. So that means on the right side you have Nikita Zaitsev, Eric Good Branson, Josh Brown, and you know I would assume Artyom Artyom Zub. Um, so that is pretty bad right side um for those who are unfamiliar with good branson um i'm sure people are aware he's he's a local boy so that's you know that's that's good for for people who are um you know like having good ottawa boys around um yeah and he's also before i before i get into this like he definitely does seem like a very nice dude and he's very supportive of black lives matter and things like that and uh, when he was here in Vancouver for the Canucks, a 
a lot of people had very good things to say about his character and his, and his personality and everything. So I will say from that sense, it's nice to have another nice guy on the team. Um, but yeah, he has, he has one year left and I'm not exaggerating when I say he was, or over the course of his career, he's been one of the weakest defenders in the entire league. It, you know, he's been a negative value player and for some reason, he's just one of those guys that has a lot of grit, has a lot of size, and coaches love him despite the fact that, you know, he always has negative goal numbers, negative shot numbers. So, I mean, I guess he'll help in the tank, but <laughs> I, I'm just worried that he's going to be taking spots away from Branstrom um, and even Zub, to be honest, because I kind of would like to see what Zub can do, even though I'm not that high on him. I just... I don't know. It's it it seems like it's also strange the fact that they had to give up a fifth round pick. Not that it's very much, but I would have thought his contract was negative value at this point. Um, I would have just rather them, you know, trade for a contract worth four million dollars or whatever, and then get a pick along with that rather than have to give it give it up. So I just I really don't like the creativity or lack thereof from Dorian here because. It seems like they could have either taken on a bad contract and and gotten an extra first or second round pick like uh, Detroit did with uh, Mark Stahl, or they could have, you know, tried to trade for someone on like the Islanders or Tampa or whoever who is needing to shed salary, and they could have actually gotten one of their better players for, you know, a prospect and, and picks or something like that. So it's... I just don't like that lack of creativity there. Yeah, I, I agree with you on a lot of that. And actually, uh, speaking from personal experience, I mean, Ottawa's a tight-knit city, I guess. Uh, I, I know some people who know good Branson directly, <laughs> and they and they all have they all have nothing but great things to say about him as a person. As you mentioned, he supported Black Lives Matter, and I, I guess we'll get into this. But it's great to have someone in the locker room who, who can, uh, at least, especially with these younger players, can um, be a good example to them. Uh, in showing in standing up for social justice, um, yeah. Um, again, I, I'm also in the same realm where, like, why were the Sens give, the one giving up the pick? Um, he was a below replacement level player for numerous seasons, like consistent. I mean, replacement level by some models is defined as a player on a league minimum contract. So, and he's making three million, four million cap hit. So, he was he he is a negative value asset, like on ice speaking. So why the Sens were the one giving up the pick for that just seems absurd to me. Um, but that said, I know he's a bad player, but I really don't care that he's on the Sens. Like, it's fine. I, I, I Like, the, the Sens aren't going to have, I don't think, at least, any prospects trying to look for those right side minutes. I guess Branstrom. So I guess this is also going to be a bit of a litmus test for G DJ Smith in a sense. And like, mm -hmm. how... How is he going to manage Good Branson's minutes? Is he going to be this, this another Nikita Zaitsev or like Jack Johnson of Pittsburgh type thing, or Ron Hainsey even, where he's playing twenty, where he's one of their top playing defensemen and he's not good at all? Or the thing is too, Colin. Like it's you know we saw this, we saw this with Shabbat where he was fantastic with Demello. And then last year, he definitely wasn't as good. And I would attribute a lot of that to having to play with Nikita Zaitsev. So if you have, say, Christian Willannon playing with Good Branson, how is that putting him in a position to succeed? So it's, 
yeah, we'll have to see how DJ Smith handles this um, because, you know, the, the options on the right side are pretty dreadful, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you wouldn't be able to make me choose between the best one out of the out of the options they have because I wow, might even say Josh Brown is to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I actually I, I think I might side with you on that yeah. actually, <laughs> but it's uh, it's 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 slim pickings, man. So yeah, and and so I I think we need to clarify too that like of course this deal is not the end of the world or anything, but it's hard to have like a positive. Um, spin on this besides the fact that i will continue to say that he you know does seem like a fantastic person so that is the kind of silver lining from things and i'm always happy to have people like that within the organization um but it would have been nice if doran could have just used that cap space and like like weaponize that cap space because now it seems like they probably don't have to take on another contract if they just resign uh the players they have except for one guy who do you want to get into right now? Well, we'll get into a few players because there's uh, um, player uh, teams released over the past couple of days. Um, the uh, players that they were extending qualifying offers to, the, the restricted free agents whose contracts were coming up, but their team still had control over. Um, in a sense, had a whole bunch of these this year, um, and it, it, it's pretty it's pretty uncommon generally that you generally get less than one per team every year. Of players who were not given qualifying offers, and the Suns this year had three. So we're going to talk about each each um, each of them just a little bit. I think that the first one, um, the easiest one to agree on, is Andreas England, uh, loaned over back to Sweden this year. But he was a Suns second round pick, and I believe what twenty twelve is it twenty fourteen? Yeah. I knew it was an even year, <laughs> but he's been around for a long time. He was ineffective in Belleville throughout all of that. Um, honestly, I mean, you got Tyler Cleveland to replace him now, so we'll see about that. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think it was, it was something we could have seen coming. I, I, I'm actually pretty surprised that they didn't do this in previous years. Um, uh, in previous years where he was an RFA, I've kind of yeah been on the train of like, yeah, this is not a player that you want to hang on to anymore. So it's finally over. Uh, I don't know. Are, are you in agreement on that? Yeah, nothing much, nothing much else to add on that. All right. Uh, second player, uh, Jace Horowick. Hey, I actually said that. You got it right. You got I, it right. You got it. Yes. <laughs> the <sense>. last time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the time where it counts the least. All right. Well, uh, he was not given a qualifying offer. Um, I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, honestly, again, it's it's one of these moves that, of course, it's not the end of the world. But I just don't really understand why they wouldn't want to give him a shot. You know, um, he did pretty damn well in his in his short time in Ottawa. Seven points in eleven games. Some of that's, you know, shooting uh, sort of like PDO driven, but even the underlying numbers during that time were pretty solid. And, you know, he's been a good AHL player. He's, he's only 24. So I don't really get why they couldn't have just put him on the third or fourth line or whatever. Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe he's asking for a lot of money, but I can't, I can't really see that happening. So um, yeah, it's just kind of too bad. They couldn't keep him. Yeah. Like, how many spots do they need to give to players now? Like, I have no idea how this forward core is going to shape up next year, well, which, are, which is probably exciting, but also like, uh, like how, you're, you're going to have some spots to fill in. So, I mean, Colin, he, he was a, so like that, I, I, that's what's confusing to me is that last year, the whole narrative was about, um, you know, guys like Batherson and Brown got to earn their spot in the lineup and they can't just be given it. That's why they traded for Nemestikov. And then this year, they're sort of 
changing that around and it's like okay well we got to make spots <laughs> for a prospect it's like okay well which is it which philosophy are you choosing you got to stick to one and you know like it, it looks like they're just giving them the spots now which is fine but i think they're also opening up too many spots almost yeah i, I couldn't agree with you more on that it's a really good point i think that uh there is some cost cutting coming in here um as i think we might get into with the next one but uh lots of caps lots of salary being freed up i mean we know who is probably behind that but yeah Harulik, he was a waiver claim in a vacuum, letting him go, not a huge deal. Would have, li- would have liked to have seen him get a shot because he actually did have some decent underlying numbers. I mean, obviously, small sample size. Mm-hmm, yeah. But uh, he is a player I would have given a shot to. Like, I- I- I'd place him in the same tier as like a Nick Paul type player, almost, in, in that sense, where yeah, he could yeah. probably play like a-, a bottom six winger. Maybe move up to the second line and provide some value in a pinch. So, yeah, not the end of the world, but whatever. So, who was the third player they did not extend? So, Anthony Duclair, which this was quite the shock to Sense Twitter, uh, what, yesterday? Yeah, this this one is a bit mind-boggling, to be honest. There's probably more to this story that we haven't heard. But even having said that, I don't see any scenario how or like any scenario where this is, you know, good PR for the senators, you know, I just, okay. So here's what they could have done. They could have qualified him. And then, you know, if you want to bring him to arbitration, then fine. He gets a one year deal. He can just be a placeholder for this year. Um, You could have qualified him and then traded him potentially. I mean, maybe there was no market for him on, on the, on the trade market. And that must've been the case, but I don't know. I find that hard to believe. So that could have been an option, but maybe not. Um, they could have tried to re-sign him for a couple years and it sounded like they did. I really wonder what he was asking for because, you know, if it was North of 5 million, then okay, I can understand them not wanting to give that out. But if it was less than that for, you know, two, three years, I wouldn't have been totally opposed to that, even though I don't think he's a core member of the team. And, you know, he's, he's definitely a flawed player. But yeah, it is just a bit strange that he is leaving for nothing. And I don't know. It, it seems like, I mean, yes, both sides are probably to blame, but Ottawa does not deserve the benefit of the doubt when they haven't been able to keep, like, anybody, even even smaller um you know, like non-stars like Dylan DeMello and Pajot and Borvietsky, they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt in these situations. So it's, it was quite the shock. So, yeah, I, I see there, there are two angles that you can kind of approach this scenario from. One is that it was purely a hockey move, which I mean, I don't believe they, they just didn't want him on the team, which, which I can see to an extent. Like his second half of the season was, he went cold. He scored a goal in like 20 some games totally, yeah. after having, after having his hot start. And he's, I mean, he is a flawed player. He's pretty awful defensively. I gotta say, Yeah. but again, like he's still a useful player. Uh, he could, he, he can play in the top six in a pinch. He can play on the power play too. I think he's useful there. Um, he's a player that you have to kind of cater to a bit and give him more offensive zone starts than defensive ones. But I think that's totally fine to keep in a sheltered lineup, to keep him sheltered in the lineup. So um, he's, he's still a very useful player. The fact that he puts the points to put, means he has value on the trade market. 
so that's the first side. The second side is that it was a cost-cutting move and that they were afraid of what he get in arbitration. He was asking too much and that they were afraid of what they get. But even then, like arbitration, it's if you one year. Awards, <laughs> it's, it's one, sometimes two years, but like, that's rare. It's, it's, it's like, you, you never get that. Um, so I, I, I don't know. One year is nothing to the sense. Of course, they, like you see how how many forward spots they have available. Like Duclair can easily fit in there, like the, like he did last year, essentially. Um, and yeah, like they're not even close to the cap. So mm-hmm. if it if it, I tend to lean more towards this because Melnick is such a cheap guy and is trying to save wherever he can. That that that, that as soon as there was a fear soaked in him, that they kind of maybe even a bit reactionary to it and. Uh, Colin, like how how sad is that that they were scared about an arbitration number, even though they're like twenty million dollars away from the floor, and like yeah they'll get there, but barely. So the fact that they like honestly, I wouldn't even be surprised if they, uh, you know, in the regular season they're like exactly at the floor because they can't afford anymore right now. It's just it is not good news for their the team's finances, and I hope this is shedding some light on like towards the NHL and, and the, and the offices there shedding some light on the Melnick finances situation, because I don't see, and we've been saying this for years, but I don't see how this is sustainable for him. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, they qualified JC Baudin over Anthony Duclair. And obviously there's, there's <laughs> contracts to be taken into account there, but like, come on. Yeah. Come on. Like, what are you even doing here? <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, um, this declare thing is similar to some of the other moves where it's certainly not, I didn't think declare was a long-term piece on this team anyway. And yeah, agreed. So, so it doesn't like, it's not as if losing him clouds my, it doesn't make me like more pessimistic about the future of the team and, and like their cup chances in the next 10 years or whatever. But it just sort of, it's sort of these small paper cuts that are adding up where it's like, okay, this just loses my confidence in the front office and ownership just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit. Like it's all these things that are kind of adding up and it's just not, it's not great feelings um, you're getting from this team where it's, it's hard to have good, I don't know, just not a a lot of um, positivity and, and like, Definitely with the draft and the jersey. We haven't even talked about the jerseys being released, but like those are fantastic. And like, you know, we have those back and we're getting, getting Stutzel and Sanderson. So there's a lot of good things to talk about too, but there's there's some questionable decisions being made. And, you know, a lot of the time it comes back to these finances and it's hard to ignore, even though there's a lot to be excited about with their prospects and how many young players they have coming up. Yeah, I feel you there. I'm, I'm, we know the Sens are in such a pickly situation where it, it's hard. It, it's hard to get excited about things um, because there's always so many asterisks involved. And I mean, this year has thrown a lot of asterisks at us, but we've always had to deal with that asterisk of Eugene Melnick. And <laughs> yeah, um, like yeah, we, we, you see, we're the cost per point cast, and the Sens keep going lowering their cost and. That's not exactly going to lead to more points, but it's going to lead to some higher cost per point. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah. Do you have anything else to add about any of that stuff before uh, I really got to get this rant off my chest? I mean, the jerseys are nice. 
<laughs> they are nice. That and I say that as someone who actually prefers the O's, but like I still like these ones too. And like, you know, if uh if they re-sign Kachuk long long term, then I might get one of those black ones because those look pretty good. Yeah, man. I I'm excited too. But uh yeah, uh, maybe that wasn't uh, the best lead up to what you want to talk about. But yeah, I know. Yeah, you gotta get you gotta get me mad, Colin. Jeez. I'm sorry, Trevor. Okay, uh, but I know you stuff you wanted to say. It's been an exhausting few days, so what's on your mind? Yeah, it has just been quite exhausting on Twitter the last couple of days. Um, you know, so much is happening with with the draft and a couple of these trades and declare not uh being tendered and things like that. And you know, th- this is a recurring recurring thing that comes up every so often. Um, but I just got to say that like being critical of moves that the senators make or, or any team that you're, you're following doesn't make it negativity. It's just like, we're not supposed to like everything that a team does. Um, and like we've been saying in this podcast, it's not as if this team is some juggernaut that deserves a benefit of benefit of the doubt for every single thing. Um, you know, this is a team that finished in the bottom two of the standings for three years in a row now and has kind of been like a, a joke of the league. Um, obviously coming coming up, um, you know, with some very good prospects and there are things that I'm excited about. But it doesn't mean that, you know, we have to be positive about every single thing. And if we say that, you know, we, we wish they took a, a different player in this draft or we... Um, you know, didn't love the the creativity with Good Branson. Like, it doesn't mean we're, you know, piling on and, and just being negative fans and only focusing on that. It's just, it's frustrating to hear that. Like, it's almost like the like a thought police, right? Like, um, there, there's just sometimes. I think you probably get this as well. Like, I get this. Other people that I follow will get this. Just being attacked for being quote unquote negative when you know like why are we supposed to agree with everything that the team does and i think a good comparison for me is so for people who don't know i'm also a red sox fan and obviously right now they're pretty pretty crappy team but in the past they've been either like world series contenders world series winners or like at the bottom of the standings and despite that I'm generally a pretty positive Red Sox fan because they have fantastic ownership, um, you know, besides the Mookie Betts situation, but fantastic ownership who's willing to spend. I'm very confident in their front office because they've proven to me that they can get the job done and, and build contenders. So even when things are down with that, I can be pretty damn positive, not about every single thing, but pretty damn positive overall. So it's not as if it's this like, predisposition in me for uh to be negative it's just if you see negative uh thing like things that you don't agree with and i think both you you and me colin definitely disagree philosophically um against the senators on a lot of things especially with drafting so it's oh it is just frustrating and i think a couple years ago it wasn't like this because a lot of fans were apathetic and just had kind of given up on the team. Whereas now, you know, they're, they have a lot of these prospects and I think they're probably, I think probably this year was their, their lowest point. And I think from here they are, are going to go up, even though they definitely have a, a few more seasons to go before they get back to a playoff team. I think a lot more people care about the team and it's, 
a couple years ago, it was kind of like cool and hip, I guess, to be negative. Whereas now people almost take offense and, and uh, take it personally if you're saying bad things about the team. But I don't think it should be about that. I think like the bottom line is that we're allowed to be critical of our favorite team because, you know, we, we love them so much. We just want to see them do well. Um, and I'm never going to tell anybody to, I'm never going to tell someone how they should feel. You know, I, I'll get into discussions and arguments about what, you know, who, how, how I value certain things and how I value certain players, but I'm never going to tell you, oh, you should only be positive or, or, oh no, you should be negative about this trade or whatever. I'm never going to do that. So I would expect the same thing from other people. I think it's just strange to sort of force you to, to not talk about negative things when if I'm seeing negative things, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. Um, I think there's a difference between um, tweeting about it and like whining. I think there's, you know, it could definitely go over the top. And if you're beating a dead horse and saying it over and over, sure, that gets annoying. But just talking about it and I don't know, maybe making some some jokes, like sort of poking fun at the team or poking fun at yourself or whatever. I think that's totally fine. So I just <sighs> Twitter's been a lot for me recently. I think a lot of people are on edge um, whether it's the, the people who are very positive or very negative or whatever. Uh, I just think we need to calm down a bit and realize that, you know, we're all fans of the same team and, you know, we all want the same thing. So it's just, uh, yeah, I think tensions are high and I think we should realize that we all have different opinions on things. And, uh, I don't think we should be policing each other on, on our emotions and how we should feel. Um, but yeah, like, you know, I, I love everyone here. I love all of our listeners. I love the readers at silver seven and, and, and Twitter and all that stuff. So I think we should just respect each other's opinions more, whether that's positive or negative. Um, but that's what I have to say. And I, I really need to get up, get that off my chest. So there's that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I agree with so much of that. And while I've been off Twitter a bit more recently, I, I, I can definitely see that, uh, it is, uh, <laughs> There are definitely some stark contrasts in opinions right now. And I think it's important that we all be honest approaching this in the sense that when we're saying these things, when we say that Jake Sanderson was a reach, when we say that uh, um, we would have not gone for Tyler Cleveland at all, these are all speaking from places of honesty. We aren't trying to pile on the team. We aren't trying to... Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to provide legitimate analysis and try and approach us from... Uh, our opinion and of course we have different opinions on this too uh to i'm sure some other people and if you just want to take what the suns give you and run with it and find the optimism sure that's totally it's again we are we, have, we aren't trying to play the opposite way we're trying to police people into being more negative so yeah yeah exactly uh, so take fandom how you want um just yeah gatekeeping is something should ne- should should not exist for fans and you know what? I think we say it like it is, right? Like we're not going to sugarcoat anything. And I like that, that we're not going to just, you know, appeal to authority all the time. But I think, um, you know, unless you have something else to say, but before we, before we finish this mega long episode, um, I think we should just end off with a note of positivity that, you know, the team is in a very exciting spot right now. And 
I honestly can't wait until the season starts because they're going to have so many prospects to follow this season at the NHL level. So I really can't wait to watch them. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I am still genuinely very excited about the future. Tim freaking Stutzle, man. Can't wait to see him. Um, that's going to be so much fun to watch. Yeah, there's so, there is, there's definitely things to get excited about. And uh, yeah. Tim freaking Stutzle. As I wrap it up, a reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you like it, you can rate and review it on those platforms as well. You can find me on Twitter at CudmoreCohen and find my writing at Silver7Cents. And Trevor, you can find him on Twitter at ShackTS and find his content on YouTube at The Hockey Shack. For the podcast, you can find our account at CP Pointcast on Twitter, where you can submit listener questions for future episodes and we'll notify you as soon as it drops. So thanks for tuning in to this extra long episode of our draft wrap up here at the Cosper Pointcast. We'll be back pretty soon as I guess some of this is already outdated with free agency. So until next time, that's all for today, folks. Adios.